I grew up not eating pork. Ain't nobody in my immediate family Muslim. <laughs> Why are we not eating pork, mama? Because we just don't. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that is possibly why. Like either Islam or some iteration from the nation, I don't know, but that had my mother, you know, who was growing up, you know, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, being like, oh, we don't eat pork. Like, girl, why? <laughs> like, why don't we eat that? Hey, 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 bays! Welcome, welcome, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the womanist witchy insight pod that dives deep into Black culture, the Black healing journey, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. This is the hashtag Black Ass Spirituality Show, and I'm your host, Juju Bay. I'm a psychic, a hoodoo, an Orisha devotee, but most importantly, a bad bitch witch. So, how you doing? How you doing? I hope everyone is great this week. Thank for this week's child. This week, thank y'all for checking in with me again. I have been feeling good, feeling great, grounded, doing a lot. But when you're doing a lot and you like what you're doing, it don't feel as a lot as it is. So that's kind of where I am. I'm like, should be a lot, but she's cool. I have a lot of, I'm very blessed to have a lot of people who I know personally and have just been connected to through just community panels, everything else that I meet and get to learn from. And one of my favorite things is, is learning from other people, learning from scholars, folks who just are smart and have receipts and have been through things. So like, I'm really just so grateful for community today and encouraging you that I hope that you have people in your life that can teach you, that you learn from, that um, support you and love you, but they also maybe challenge you, challenge your beliefs because we need that. And so right now I'm feeling very fed and fueled by community and by people who do that. So speaking of which, um, the people who I'm learning from, I'm really excited about our episode today because we are talking about Islam. Because, you know, when I when I talk about ancestral religions and systems, I speak about a lot of them. I talk about some overlaps within traditions, how people have multiple beliefs and traditions at the same time, i.e. me. And it's really about what makes sense for you and how you understand your spirituality and your journey. So I'm here for the, you know, the crossover with, with the healing. And so that's why it's so important that I'm talking about Islam today and you know, there's this thing of when people think about black folks and black religious people, we automatic we automatically jump to black Christians. Even when we talk about black faith journeys, we we think about Southern Baptists, you know, or something evangelical black spiritual folks. And that's not every person's experience. Uh we're not, you know, a, a monolith spiritually. And 
the majority of the black people in the U.S. are Christian, yes, but some are Muslim. And according to the Pew Research Center, child, because we got some data, 20% of American Muslims are black and one third of the world's Muslim, Muslim people live on the continent in Africa. So this is a topic that I haven't spoken a lot about, I know, in the podcast. I don't talk a lot about Muslim culture and how it has impacted black culture and how it impacts our spirituality and our music and all of that, because I don't know, honey. And that's why you go to the people who know, you go to the folks who are in that community. So today we're interviewing Dr. Mar Aziz for the show, and we'll get into all of these topics and more. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Mar. All right, lovelies, I'm so excited to get into our interview today. Day with none other than Dr. Mar Aziz. Let's get let's get into the bio. Um, Dr. Mar Aziz, they them, is a black non-binary Muslim scholar practitioner. As an organizer, Aziz regularly teaches radically inclusive self-defense classes. Period, in person and virtually, they have written about the history of police chokeholds for the Washington Post's Made by History column. They are currently writing their first book on the history of Black power, martial arts, wellness, and spiritual groundedness. All this, among many other things that we will talk about today in this episode. But Baze, welcome Dr. Mar to the show. Hey, Mar. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it was so nice to meet you on the panel some months ago uh, that yeah. Jewel put on. I don't even remember the name of the panel, but just like hearing your words and... Um, really connecting with you, I was like, yes, this is someone that I would love to talk to because you're one of those people that talk and I'm like, mm-hmm, like you're just <laughs> nodding really hard, like the neck is moving, like that's how it was hearing you. So I'm so glad that we were able to connect and shout out to Jewel uh, for that, for that panel Jewel. and that connection. We love Jewel. Okay, so I already introduced you, you know, with the bio, but I do like to ask my guests, you know, how do you want to show up today? You know, how do you identify sort of who are you? Tell us in your own words. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's a great question. I always, I still identify really as this like, you know, awkward, nerdy, shy kid from, you know, South Jersey that somehow, you know, whose like black mother really <laughs> got them to where they are today and the ability to even have, you know, that piece of paper with the doctorate on it. But mm. um, I'm a I'm a movement person at heart, like, you know, spending my days out here on my new balcony, like, yeah. you know, tending to like the mind, body, spirit connection. I mean, those are all things that are really important to me and really just like black queer Muslim community has also been really important, particularly during this pandemic, like yeah. has been such an important thing and working with um, Meshed al-Rabia, which is a like BIPOC led LGBTQ like centered like Meshed out of Chicago has been really nourishing um, as well in the last several months. So that's really, that's who I am. I feel like I'm just a, you know, a kid that gets to write about martial arts, um, which is amazing because I've, I've been a martial artist for now most of my my life so i'm like sometimes i look around and i'm like wow i get wow. to write a book you know i get to move it's great wow that's amazing um you know 
you talk about, you know, your your spiritual groundedness and your community being really important in this pandemic, but also just generally. Um, and, you know, this is a spirituality show. And so we talk about our, our practices here. And so sort of how do you identify spiritually sort of what, if you were to put a title or a label on it, kind of how would you talk about that? And, and how did it begin? Mm, yeah, I mean, I would definitely, you can't, for me, I, I can't, that, that point of all the identities overlap, I never peel them away from each other. So for me, the uh, black, queer, Muslim, it just runs together in a very yeah. black vernacular way, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. one word. Um, and so that's really my identity. And I, I've like been Muslim all my life. And I actually, I think that, you know, African-American expressions of Islam have really impacted how I see the world, how I approach faith, how I approach justice, how I approach other people. Um, And really coming into, when I came into my like queerness in my 20s and found queer Muslim community, I mean, I think that just opened up this beautiful world to reinvent what it meant to be a spiritual person. And I'm not gonna lie to you, Juju, I think queer Muslims are lit. I think we're a sleeper hit, period. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, like we have, I mean, you know, it's coming up in a post 9-11 world as Mm. an African-American Muslim. Like I was in high school, like four years or something after 9-11. And, you know, I grew up in an all black town, but I went to a majority white public high school, but there's this moment in which, like, and maybe we'll talk more about it. I mean, Muslims are just everywhere in Black communities across the diaspora on the continent here in the U.S. Uh, but there was this moment where people just, like, didn't know anything about you, right? And I swear, I think it really became so intrinsic to my identity. And you're very, you know, something very visible. Like, as someone who was raised as, like, an AFAB Black Muslim child, like, mm-hmm. you don't really not get to stand out <laughs> right. moving through the world uh, as you move through your genders, Um And so, yeah, even now, like being a non-binary black, you know, trans mass Muslim person, like all of those things, Mm -hmm. I just like, I can't separate them. Like, and they're, you know, you can't sort of like throw a rock out of a window and like meet 20 people (laughs) with the same like five overlapping identities. And so oftentimes it can feel like, you know, we feel a little isolated, but that's why that like virtual community, particularly during the pandemic has been beautiful. Even just like going on retreats with other with mm. other folks has been amazing. So yeah, I think that's how I, I think and talk about my identities and just can't mm-hmm. separate them. Mm-hmm. I feel that. And I definitely want to talk more um, in a minute about, you know, queer Muslim community and also how, whether folks identify as being Muslim or practicing Islam or knowing much about it at all, black folks, that we've all been impacted by it. <laughs> you know, I have my own examples and I was raised Christian. So I definitely want to talk about that later. Uh, before we get into it, though, you're kind of talking about people not really understanding or knowing. I think even still, a lot of people don't really know what Islam is. And like, we, of course, we know generally, but can you kind of give us like uh, for a listener who maybe is very unfamiliar or maybe who was raised in another tradition, like what is Islam? Sort of what is its, where are its roots? Where do they they kind of come from? Yeah, I love it. We're going with the hard spiritual questions. Let's get mm-hmm. it. I mean, I think one of the easiest ways to answer this question, and I think a lot of people are often shocked by it, but if you were to like literally take the word Islam and directly almost try and translate it from Arabic, right, to English, like Islam comes from the root word of peace. Mm -hmm. And so like, obviously, again, like that's just such a shocker to people who live in this world in which like Islam is seen as like 
the violent Abraham in yes. Kevin, right? Yes. Um, but like peaceful centeredness is actually something that's at the core of Islam. And Islam has these mm-hmm. like really central like beliefs that we call them the five pillars. And wound up in the five pillars are thinking about like this oneness, right, of the higher being of God. I use they, them pronouns for God. That's just how we rock over here. Mm-hmm, um but like thinking about like God in like a full whole, like not broken connection, um, moving through the world and like being in prayer and spirituality with that higher being, you know, giving back to other folks. I mean, there's this thing called Zakat, which is basically just like charity. Um, and then fasting, like that spiritual fasting that folks see a lot of Muslims do during Ramadan. Um, a lot of those things are really the, the bulwark of the religion. And if you look at the Quran, which is like our big religious text, a lot of what it talks about is like, you know, being a, like good deeds, being a good person (laughs) and treating other people as good people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so even some of my favorite like ayats or like lines from the Quran are literally about like people are lost except those who have faith and do righteous deeds Mm. and join together in peace and consistency or constancy. Um, Mm. And it's like you could be lost, but there's a certain way in which like having light, being a person with light (laughs) and righteousness toward other people will always get you. It's like the book could tell you a whole story that happened hundreds of years ago. And at the end, it'll be like, well, you know, (laughs) if these people had just been, you know, more wholesome people, they had treated other people with dignity and respect. We didn't have to go there. (laughs) Um, Right. And to me, that seems to be really like that cornerstone of Islam. And I think you'll see a lot of like, Muslims, when they see people, when they see other people, there's a lot of love. Like, mm-hmm. Muslims just get so hyped to see each other. Or, you know, when people, I mean, you know, I think a lot of, like, Black people in general, you know, always make fun of Muslims because they're like, oh, the greeting. Everybody, everyone loves to give you an assalamu alaikum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, you know, okay, y'all. But, like, the reason <laughs> that people, I think, get so hype about that is because Muslims are like, I want to show you love. Like, when you say assalamu alaikum it means peace be unto you like people are just hyped to get, try and give you peace and care yeah. and that's just real cute yeah that's really cute and that's really i feel like when we kind of mentioned this earlier you know even this muslim culture has completely infiltrated black culture and in a lot of ways it's a part it is part of blackness regardless of what you practice if, especially if you live in places like how I, I live in Baltimore, there's a lot of, there's a strong Philly, like a very I grew powerful. up right outside Philly. Yep. See, it's like the black Muslims be lit and it's a lot of love. And it is, it is that kind of like ready to give you peace, ready to connect with someone who was in the practice. I'm curious sort of how Islam sort of traveled and got to this place where black people, like got to black folks. Um, because I do also recognize that to me, as an outsider, it looks like black, you know, Muslims, it, it looks a little bit different than like being Muslim outside of blackness. And like that, it's like a cultural, it seems like a, there's a cultural difference um, because it's just the blackness a part of it. So I'm just curious. I know that was a lot, but like how did sort of Islam get into, how did black people, what is black people's relationship to Islam and how did that happen in your experience? Mm, that's a great question. Woo. Um I just want to, you know, this is all again from my, you know, mm-hmm. my Dr. Mar hat, you know, I'm not a religious studies scholar. So I was like, in case anybody's listening, that's not my, that's not my lane. 
But if I, I like to think of it as a really like global older tradition to think about how we mm. get like Muslims of different like black experiences in the U.S. Like you got to you just got to go back to the beginning. Like yeah. black folks have been up in Islam since literally the moment of inception, like the first muezzin or like the first person to like give those melodic calls to prayer. Like if you ever hear that like boisterous little voice, that's like, you know, a law, like that, like very like musical sounding thing. The first person to do that was a black person. Wow. Right. So we're talking about in mm. the time of, you know, who we call prophet Muhammad. Mm. Um, and so even ever since then, I mean, it's been traveling, like, you know, West African Muslims have been on the map for centuries. I'm mm. like, there's a you could look up somebody named Mansa Khan Khan Musa, who is a really huge figure coming out of Mali. Mm. Um, and I mean, you could think of like even up until now, like even when we think of like certain like folks like who are black in the Americas, like all those Somalis that Drake is crooning about that broke his heart, they're probably they're probably Muslim Somali. <laughs> I don't know, Drake. I don't know, but <laughs> Somebody asked Aubrey. <laughs> Somebody asked Aubrey, but no. And, you know, even like, I think, you know, we get like, I mean, again, like, and we could talk more about this, but I mean, like the enslaved folks, right, who came mm-hmm. over, like so many of them were also Muslims. So even when you get to the Americas from the beginning, like black folks had Islam, right? Before a lot of the forcible conversions of Christianity. And then of course, I think a lot of us think about the 20th century as this moment where different like folks thinking about black empowerment, like so many different syncretic traditions are trying to play with Islam. I mean, obviously the Nation of Islam is one of the biggest hmm. like names in that, but I mean, there's Islamic... Sure. I mean, there's so many like folks that are thinking about what does it mean to have a spiritual path that provides liberation and freedom outside of a Christian framework. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that like Black folks have had Islam from the beginning. It's not new. It's not the bastard stepchild of, you know, Black spiritualities. Mm. Everyone has a complicated relationship to it, right? As we do to all the Abrahamic faiths. But yeah, folks have been running around. What I think is interesting that you named and important to name is that Black enslaved folks in the Americas, in the U.S., had Islam. Like there were people who were Muslim who were enslaved people. And it wasn't just a... um, Even though there was this sort of religious turmoil and these sort of mass conversions that wasn't like that for every single person. And it's not, and and people still held on to their own beliefs and they sort of meshed and they changed and they, you know, everything wasn't just like, Oh, they said be Christian. So now we Christian. Like it, it wasn't like that, even for people who were Christian, like <laughs> they still held on to some, some stuff before. And so I think that's just such an important piece that I think, a lot of folks miss and and even I miss because i'm I'm not in the tradition of like no it's 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 always been here, it's always been present, and it's always been a part of black life, you know, regardless of where you find the black life. I think that was beautifully said um you know it's a it's a a funny example, but it it's helpful um you know Alex Haley's a very complicated figure, but if anybody's ever watched roots, you know I'm like people forget the Kutakete. like this act like he's actually a West African Muslim right like mm-hmm. 
And there are real, you know, obviously that is also based on a true story, but there are other examples of like Muslims who are coming over from like areas in like Guinea or like Senegal, like folks like Omar, uh, Omar Ibn Said that folks can look up that really hold on to their practices. And you can go. So I, I am a historian in like part of my day job. Um, and just because I think I'm a Capricorn, I think, you know, we love receipts. Yes. So like, <laughs> we love receipts. <laughs> we love receipts. You can go to the archive and see like, you know, white folks literally are like, here is this, you know, I hate this term, but, you know, we they can trace people who are what they called Mohammedans often. Mm. Right. Like that actually like a lot of enslaved Muslims were distinguishable, like they knew. Right. And folks were really trying to hold on to it. Um, and there's some really I mean, I love a good you know, I love citing black authors. So I'm like, folks can check out books like Servants of Allah by Sylvian Diouf or Exchanging Our Cultural Marks by Michael Gomez. But, you know, there are moments where like even in times of like resistance in the U.S. South, like some people would be like, oh, I know that this person like what came from this part of the continent and was also Muslim because of the ways in which like they fought back or like this innate sense of like resistance to both the condition and the forcibility of it. Mm. Um, and, you know, people like Dr. Diu talk about, I mean, again, if we think like diasporically about blackness in the Americas, like you can look at resistance in like places like Bahia in Brazil and see like enslaved Muslims there being a part of messing that up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically from time anon. Um, and I think that we can also see why there are certain parts of like, you know, black culture in the U.S. that like Islam actually touches even before we get back to so many more folks taking up Islam again in the 20th century. Mm. So are you saying that there was a a pause or break like there like, what do you mean by, you know, taking it up again in the 20th century? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think that like you, so again, not an expert, but like that initial generation of folks who are coming along, right? Sure. Like if they had that strongest connection to Fong Islam, and then we have these moments in which folks like are then, as you said, like trying to piece together syncretically different spiritual practices while encountering things like Christianity for the first time, like Islam and its influences don't disappear, even sure. if like subsequent di like generations are not actually like, you know, identifying as Muslim. And I think it's when we like get to that 20th century that we see people again having the space, like having the space to revisit and then like in mass sort of like convert to Islam and then like start more generations. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people in like Islamic communities call people like reverts, like people mm -hmm. like to think like, if you were born into peace, right, and thinking about, like, the oneness of, like, the bigger being at birth, right, that you actually, like, you're reverting to something that you might have known before being taught something yeah. else. So, yeah, but no, I, I think it's a great question. Like, you have those generations who had their, you know, faith, and I think people estimate it's, like, not insignificant. If we get like 400,000 enslaved, like, um, Africans coming to the U.S., particularly, like, Tens of thousands of those might have been Muslim. So, mm-hmm, right, and and thus we've all, in some ways, have been impacted by that, regardless of our spiritual identity. I know I grew up not eating pork. Anybody in my immediate family Muslim? <laughs> Why are we not eating pork, Mama? Because we just don't. <laughs> 
Why? Like, and I knew a lot of people around me who just had that experience. And when I thought about it, I actually had someone who was a black Muslim person. I think she may have said it in a podcast. Shout out to Naima. And I was like, oh, that is possibly why. Like either Islam or some iteration from the nation. I don't know. But that had my mother, <laughs> you know, who was growing up, you know, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, being like, oh, we don't eat pork. Like, girl, why? <laughs> like, why don't we eat that? So again, like, do you have any other examples or things that sort of how it how it is, how it is, how it has impacted black culture, maybe things that we do or think or say um, that actually may be rooted in, in Islam and we don't know? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, this is my, you know, when you grow up, you know, as you know, triple marginalized, you come with the receipts. I'm like, listen, baby, I got plenty of examples. <laughs> One of my favorites is like people like Sylviane Diouf and also another scholar named Ashton Crawley will talk about the roots of like black music that we that we attribute to black Christianity. But I'm like, gotcha. You know, don't forget. Ooh, let's like, wake it up. <laughs> don't get me in trouble. But no, like if you think about the field holler or the like the elongation that happens in blues or even like the like some of the certain types of crooning that we get in like the field songs that folks would have done that make it into gospel. Like, again, it I, go back to the call to prayer that like black Muslims brought over. Like literally you could go to YouTube and look up Adhan, A-D-H-A-A-N, and you'll be there. You might, it's a, you can finish that Adhan in a minute. When I recite it, it takes like three, you can like really sound it out and it's so beautiful. And so when you think about blues and the way that people like hang on to those notes, now I almost failed out of college because of music class, so I'm not, the, I'm not a music scholar. <laughs> but, <laughs> but whatever that like stretching out of the black yeah. vocal cords is like, you can see the Islamic influences in that. Um, and so, I mean, that's one of my like favorite that's examples, deep. but I, yeah, I'm like, that's really like my like little historian example. My fun example is, you know, as you said, you grew up in Baltimore. I'm like, every Aisha and Jamal that you know, I'm like growing up that isn't Muslim. I'm like, where you the names? From? <laughs> we really and I think it makes sense, right? Because black people across spiritual faiths, right? Like when we come into ourselves, we are thinking about naming practices yes. so deeply, right? Um, and this is so important, like across the traditions that we follow that mm -hmm. I think that even for folks that like weren't Muslim or had a Muslim parent, like they like Arabic names really like took up in black communities as a non Eurocentric, non Western way of naming. Yes. Um, and sometimes, you know, I have put us in a category like I'm like, even if you're not Muslim, if you are a black person with an Arabic name, I was like, you've been living a certain life again <laughs> post 9-11 or, you know, one of my, my my platonic life partner, like his name is Khalid. I'm like, everybody always, you know, I'm like, he gets <laughs> all the things that come with that. So yes. I'm like, all the little Malcolms running around. I'm like, you know, wow. so I, that's... <laughs> Um, and then again, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't like to harp just on music, but I'm like, we wouldn't have hip hop, you know, I'm like Rakim, Mos Def, like folks who like literally self like identify yeah. with different iterations of Islam, yeah. you know, whether it's quote unquote Sunni Islam or maybe coming out of the 5% nation, mm -hmm. um, or even folks who are just touched by it. Like, you know, Lauren Hill, when she's doing like doo-wop, that thing, that thing. And she has that line where she's like. Um, like you're a Christian, you're a Muslim, sleeping with the jinn, like in that like mm. line off the miseducation 
of Lauren Hill. Like, that's Lauren. <laughs> right. Talking out your neck, saying you're a Christian. A Muslim sleeping with the gin. Now that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Who you gonna tell when the repercussions spin? And of course, you know, I mean, everybody likes to make fun of it, but I do, I mean, like, you can find really good scholarship on how, like, the bean pie is the true, like, African American, like, dessert, right? And I'm like, I will. I have gotten into fights with black Southerners who are like, sweet potato pie. And I'm like, let's go. I was like, all my life. <laughs> bean pie or bus? Bean pie or bus. And I'm like, you know, I, I get annoyed when people, you know, makes the stereotypes, right? The stereotypes about African-American Muslims are just, you know, some caricature of yeah. somebody, you know, in the nation with a bean pie and a bow tie. <laughs> but bean pies are very good. So I'm like, if you in Baltimore, you in Philly, you in a black city, go get no, one and pie. then just learn more. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> Yes. I ain't seen the bean pie people out in a long time now, though. We might be losing recipes. I hope not. Um, I hope you might have to go. We might have to. You might have to go walk up to a masjid on a Friday after prayer. You know, okay. as long as you can find an African-American Muslim, like, because I like did not grow up in the nation. But I'm like, if you could find a masjid that's majority African-American, they should have one right after Friday prayer. <laughs> Or, you know, I have had to Google bakeries to be like, you know, Brooklyn's got one. You know, I think you can walk up somewhere in Philly, but you're right. I've noticed it's like you can't just walk down the street in a black neighborhood anymore Mm -hmm. and find somebody. Because I used to be able to walk in Harlem, you know, down 125th, Mm -hmm. you know, very easily. Now I I still could kind of figure out where it's at, but something is happening. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, we got to we got to keep the the bakeries that sell the beef. Right. We can't be losing our (laughs) recipes now. No. Now, this is might be a silly example, but my brain is turning, so please don't judge me. But, you know, I think there's something within African-American community where people will be like, um, and I'm also from a place where a lot of people just around me went to jail. Like, it's just it's what it is. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but also knowing like when people go to jail, especially like when black men go to jail, they come out mm-hmm. and they are Muslim and like they are like mm-hmm. getting their lives together and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they completely mm-hmm. like switch and so I think there's something really actually powerful and interesting about that, even though it's kind of like a joke, like, oh, now you Muslim because you you didn't want the prison and, you know, you came out. But what does that mean? That there's something that's, you know, seemingly providing some type of safety, some type of camaraderie, some type of healing, restoration. Um, it can be funny, but there's there must be there must be something there that is speaking to so many people in mass, um, and so many people who are in or experiencing some of the most traumatic and horrific experiences that you could be in, i.e., in a cage. So there there's there's just something there, and I don't I don't have a point to that, but I just wanted to name it because it's just sort of a, a running joke. But I'm like, yeah, but but what is that? It's clear it's doing something. Though, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. people come out mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. they switching it up and they different, yeah, they're mm-hmm. not selling drugs no more, whatever, but like, it's something. So I just want to say that. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm screaming. Um, no, I mean, I, I think this is, this is why I do sometimes. I, I like being like in black scholarly communities because I actually think that recently, like folks have been doing a lot of good work on this. And mm. you can look at work by colleagues that I have named Dan Berger, mm-hmm. Garrett Felber, who actually have written about like, so like Muslim folks and a lot of, a lot of this is like, you know, that like mid 20th century, like nation of Islam, we're not afraid, <laughs> right. Yeah. To actually work with incarcerated, like, yes. act like it's not just a coincidence. Like, no, that was actually community organized. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Like folks were in there trying to be like, you know, how do you actually like save your soul? Like you have like folks who are like wrongfully incarcerated. Right. You have folks who are incarcerated freedom fighters, yeah. right? And then you have folks who are going to become freedom fighters who find Islam, like as you're saying, like this relationship to healing. And I think it is interesting, particularly for like cis black men, like there is definitely... Well, and I actually, I talk about this a little bit in my work, too. I think for, for since Black women, too, like, there's actually a, a gendered liberation that's happening when Black people also practice certain forms of Islam. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually is very open. Like, that's how I think I get my gendered liberation, which is a very different gendered liberation. Yeah. But there's something, a way in which, like, Islam can resonate with, like, folks across their identities. And particularly, as you said, like, when you are in these spaces, like... The ways in which, like, I think maybe, and I don't want to speak for incarcerated folks, but I'm like, the ways in which, like, these histories of folks being in there, working with them in spiritual work, the ways in which Islam is tied to justice and being like, mm-hmm. you know, like, this is not an okay situation. The ways in which you can pray, you know, with, your, like, literally a physical prayer like that, like, our five daily prayers, like, if folks do that, it's a very embodied yeah. practice. So I'm like... That like you can get into and it's not just sitting there with your hands like and we do do those prayers, too. But like to be able to get up and like get down and I think like pray to someone. I mean, it's got to be wrapped up in it. But no, Muslims have done a lot of work to be like, why are I mean, like and I probably in a in a way that I'm sure some of them are not abolitionists, but in a framework that thinks that we have not lost folks Right. right on the inside. That's why people come out. And a lot of that had to do with also like. Black power and Black power's relationship to Islam in the 70s. And I think a lot of that continues today. But yeah, go check out my my colleagues, you know, and, and read their stuff. I think they've probably got really good, yeah. good stuff on that. Yeah. All you need is a little juju. Thank you for that, uh, for that resource. Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, gender liberation in Islam and that looking different, you know, for cishet people, queer folks, and... Um, you know, as a non-binary person, sort of how do you make sense of, you know, your queerness within your spiritual, your spirituality and within your faith? Because we already have these preconceived notions about, well, how does that, but they don't, you know, you do this and y'all got to separate, you know, like what is, what does that look like for you as a, a queer person who practices Islam? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I I think that, like, what I love about, like, Black queer Muslim expressions of Islam is that we get all of the, like, beautiful traditions of, like, Black uplift, like, Black resistance. And then also the, like, there's actually, like, a, a natural conversation, like, in Islam. Like, there are schools of thought. Like, there are people who are going back and forth with each other over interpretation and analysis. And you know, I've talked to a lot of other like queer Muslims who are like, you know, actually, I'm not sure this is what they meant for us to take away. Mm. But like, (laughs) we got a lot of our critical thinking and analysis and interpretation interrogation skills from Sunday school, from Arabic school, from Islamic studies. Um, And I mean, if you read the Quran, if you spend a lot of time with it, like I said, the Quran spends a lot of time repeating the central things that are really important. And there are other things in which like you have to divine. And And it says that about itself, too, that right, like there are places where like there's ambiguity and like, you're not supposed to contort that ambiguity into like rigid structures. Mm. Um, And so I think I learned a lot of my ability to carve out my own space for myself, having been ironically in Muslim spaces. And of course, 
you know, there are things that like no longer like resonate with me, sure. right? In very like gendered ways. And I think like when I went to my first queer Muslim retreat, like, you know, and I saw a lot of people will see if you go to like most like, you know, masjids, like you'll see that like along that gender binary, like, um, like men and women pray in like different lines, yeah. right? Um, if you go to queer Muslim spaces, people across all genders are praying side by side Mm. and you can show up in like whatever, like your like spiritual garb, whatever is modest to you to be in front of like the big they (laughs) in the sky. Right. You show up that way. Um, and, and the thing is, is actually like, it's not even like that's outside of a Muslim tradition. If you go on the holy pilgrimage to the Kaaba in Mecca, like people literally do like these big circles mm-hmm. around like the Kaaba. Mm-hmm. And the lines are genderless, Juju. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have millions of people circling this <laughs> this faith like house and then be like, all right, well, you over here, you over here by race, gender, sexuality. You can't do that. Everybody is in line worshiping together. So I'm like, actually, we have this <laughs> in the traditions. Yeah. And I think queer Muslims really take that mm. up very seriously. Um, and so that's why it's great to be at places like, you know, there's this organization called Mesjid or, you know, the Mesjid El Rabia that I was talking about mm-hmm. it. And so many other like unity circle messages that are like not like are very queer affirming and also bring in like muslims who might identify as like cisgender and as straight but like are thinking about like islam in different ways do you have any examples of uh you mentioned some places in the quran or just throughout teachings where you see that ambiguity or that you've been able to interpret like huh maybe Maybe that's not what it meant. Like what I what we thought it meant. I just I'm curious if you have any um just a tangible example. You know, this this might be a, a, a oddly specific controversial example, Ooh. but I actually love I like those. <laughs> I love you know, I'm like again, I just want to preface this is not my my Dr. Marbag is not not um on religious <laughs> studies. I didn't go to a seminary school. Don't nobody quote me. Um, but I actually think for folks that are poly, like, I think that Islam raises some really interesting conversations mm. around that, right? Because I think that, you know, people, like, look at Islam and they're like, oh, like, you know, cis men have all these wives, da 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 And the interesting part, and I think this is, again, like, why I love history, is that if you look at the moment in which, like, the Quran was revealed to this specific set of people, um, like... Folks literally, like, if you were, like, a cishet man, you could, like, you could have, like, yeah, I think it was, like, a, uh, like, a, just a, it, a large number of, like, married partners or partners in general, right? And then it was, like, but how are you actually having, like, 20 meaningful relationships okay. that are partnerships? Mm-hmm. And an interesting thing that, like, so then there's this, like, really, like, kitschy thing where it's, like, you know, the Quran is, like, well, now you, you could have... You got you got four. You can have four, you know, wives or spouses, right? And so then what people did was, right, they took that and they were like, Great, I'ma have four, right? But if you actually read the text, the text says you could have multiple partnerships if you can treat everybody with the same amount of equity, love, and respect, or the type of love and respect that they want and deserve. Mm-hmm. Do you know how impossible that bar is, Juju? For me, as someone that has done, 
you know, ethical non-monogamy and poly. I'm like, same. wait a minute. So you got to treat, yeah, like, you got to treat all your partners with the same, um, with equity. Huh. huh. Okay. <laughs> huh. I'm like, that means that every, that means that most of us, the way that we have been socialized should have one partner. I was like, this is actually not a carte blanche. <laughs> Yo. And then I'm like, I would also, this is one of my cracking up things I've been thinking about recently is, you know, if I were the big they in the sky, I would word a lot of this to cishet people too. I was like, they were not okay. I was like, this might also be controversial, but I'm like, the ways in which y'all move, were moving in relation to each other was not okay. I was like- At all. It was, it was at all. And so I'm like, okay, it makes sense that it's like, yo, we're talking to cis men and women right now about their dynamics. I'm like, you know, the, like, there are other like folks who have talked about gender nonconformity, mm-hmm. transness, non-binariness, and how folks have existed mm-hmm. in Muslim communities and Muslim spaces from time anon. And I'm like, I don't think, like, you ain't really got to tell us, you know, you ain't got to address all the things. Like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) They might need it. it. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead and tell the the, the cis men to to get it together. No, go ahead, you know. Tell them that, like, nah, like, women are legally allowed to have divorce and have abortions. Like, I'm like, that's in the Quran. That's why, in this interesting moment of Roe versus Wade if you go on Muslim Twitter Muslim people I think have literally been doing these like oriental Islamophobic things like oh it's like we live in like under jihad now getting rid of Roe versus Wade Muslim Twitter was like no we have always said that abortion was legal and that people with uteruses have rights to have abortions like no no like it's in the book and it's in the book because people tried to take it away so I'm like don't get it twisted oh wow who would have known See? There we go. Wow. So that's just you just dropped a lot of my... things right now, and I'm just trying to gather <laughs> because <laughs> the poly piece just <laughs> shook me to my core. And I agree. And I'm not going to get too off topic, but that's something that I think about a lot. I've been thinking about a lot. And now I have the Quran to back me up because that is exactly the way I'm in tune with the Quran on that because yes, period. You said me, me and the homies, me and the, <laughs> me and the Muslim homies are on the, are page. on the page. Thank you, Muhammad. Okay. So I, I had another question here sort of about gender and sexuality. I think we kind of touched on it, I guess. More so, how does your maybe you you said this, and if you if if you did, be like I said that. Sort of, how does your gender and sexuality mm-hmm. in, impact or mm-hmm. influence your identity as a Muslim person? And then, how does your how does Islam impact your gender? How does it in, uh, impact your sexuality? If that's a clear question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it sounds like a a continuation of of things we've already been talking about. I mean, I think for me, it feels like there's space and there's room for me Mm. in my genders. And and that's why I said, like, I'm looking for a very different type of gender liberation than, you know, some of the folks that are like, this is what I think Islam is trying to teach us about, you know, binary masculinity and femininity. And, And I'm like, you know, I'm someone that's like, 
even if I don't think that your way of thinking about gender is, a, is like the way that we get the furthest toward liberation, I want to understand how you got to where you are, right? And so I understand how a lot of Black folks are like, actually, it's empowering for, you know, cis Black men to move in a particular way. You know, it's empowering for like certain cis Black women to be treated in certain mm-hmm. ways. But to, and I talk about this in my own work, but like other scholars have talked about this, like the ways in which like, you know, Black women are experiencing like gendered racialized violences. Like for some of them, like they actively chose to be in certain types of Muslim communities because it felt like an escape from that, mm. right? Um and so I was like, actually, it makes sense, right? It's not about like, you know, and of course, you know, as again, as someone like who's a non-binary trans mass person, but like, you know, was raised with these gendered logics right. and also was raised with a lot of Islamophobia, mm. people automatically think the ways in which Muslims move through the world covering their body is right, that sign of oppression. Yeah. I'm like, actually, I'm like, for a lot of folks, it's liberation. Mm. And I'm like, if you spend any time with, I mean, I would say, like, let's just say, like, hijabis are some of the most lit people of all time. <laughs> I don't care how much of a hijabi you can see or not see how much you talk to them. Um, hijabis are funny. <laughs> hijabis have mad personality, mad style. Yes. Um, you can't even, like, you go, if you look at Blackout Eid, like, I'm like, black hijabis will tear it up, like... You cannot get your life. <laughs> yep. You know, I'm like the scarf. And I'm like, as someone that is not femme at all, like, I'm like, nah, the black Muslim hijabis with the color-coded scarf, you know, the heels, the dresses on popping. And I'm like, if you've ever lived in a black neighborhood, you know that black Muslim women get hollered at. I'm like, yes. let's be very clear. Absolutely. Somebody is trying to, like, <laughs> Drake, Aubrey, where you at? Like... <laughs> Yep. Um, and so, like, I think that people, like, you know, so I, I say that to say, like, there actually is a lot of gender liberation in mm-hmm. Islam. And so for me, like, I grew up with that knowledge. And so coming into, like, my own identities, like, I took that for myself. And I think that, you know, one of my favorite examples is, like, even in my own, like, gender expression journey, like, for me, it was really important for folks to actually divorce. Well, first off, to just know what hijab meant. Like, a lot of people think that hijab is is the scarf, is, you know, a veil, is like the dresses. And I'm like, hijab, like, one of the ways, again, to translate that, going back to the text from Arabic, is just thinking about, is a covering, Mm. right? And it's a spiritual covering. Like, we're trying to cover the spirit Mm. here. Um, And it's really technically, again, if if you go back to my text, you know, there is, it's not, actually mandatory to like cover in certain ways right but like you know scarves like head scarves become a really popular beautiful way of manifesting that covering and I think for me like having physical reminders of a connection to something higher to something more important that's grounding me mm. like I'm someone that's like I like I stand out like you know if I'm like one of like <laughs> 20 like you know, black mass presenting folks, you know, in a space, I'm like, and we all got on the same black shirt. I'm like, what separates me is I might have on some prayer beads. Right. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I started doing that in grad school because I was like, oh, I need something to really like yeah. ground me. This might also be, you know, one of the things that Muslims have done for like, you know, I'm like, obviously there's lots of traditions of beads for us, but I was like, I feel like Muslims have influenced black people with the bead aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll wear it around my neck. I'll wear it around my hands. But even for me as someone that like was like exploring like 
like mass presenting, like uh, gender expressions or even just like clothing, like for a long time, like for the most part, like my head covering was still like a head scarf. And that was so wild to people Mm. to think that like you didn't, it just like that a scarf couldn't just be attached to like, you know, cis-headness and also just feminist, right? right? To be like, oh, you know, I I guess you could have maybe, maybe called me a soft, 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 soft. Emphasis on the soft, bitch. (laughs) But to see, you know, somebody very soft (laughs) running around, you know, in a full suit and they got a headscarf on, you know, the logic is you got dreads and it's like, no, you know, this is part of like, you know, my spiritual practice. And, and in recent years, like I've moved a lot into my own gender affirming space, wearing like kufis, mm-hmm. which also, again, probably is also Muslims. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like with people running around looking at the, the tiny, the smaller caps. Um, and for me, it was actually really important to be like, well, even if I don't wear like scarves as much as I used to, like, like, you know, having done that work and maintained that you could wear a scarf across gender spectrums. I'm like, this is really important for trans folks yes. in general. Like, we're just reinventing the script of what Islamic dress looks like and whose body right. it's on. And I was like, I'm going to start rocking the kufi. I was like, it feels weird to me to not uh, have. <laughs> right. right. Like, ex- exactly. That that connection and that mm-hmm. covering is so... Yeah, you know, I think that's that's another way to sort of continue the mm-hmm. conversation we've been mm-hmm. having. No, I just love and appreciate the ways that Black queer folks, we always create and... We we create our own space, but we also just find the space that that was that was maybe there that wasn't interpreted, um, couldn't be interpreted by who was interpreting it, um, or who was supposed to, or who was the front facing person to interpret it. Um, and we always just kind of create and are able to like extract more from the belief, from the text, from the faith, um, from the healing practice. And that's just something I'm always just so proud to like be in spaces um, and share with with fellow. Um, Black queer people, because like it, we really just be doing some really deep work, especially in the in the spiritual street, in these spiritual streets, um, in the spiritual space. Um, as we as we close out, this has been such a good conversation. I do want to talk just briefly about your, you know, being in martial arts and sort of how it, how does that? And you're also writing a book about with spiritual groundedness and also talking about martial arts. So how does this this form of like protection? Um, how does that how does that relate to your groundedness, your spiritual groundedness? And 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 why is it important um for us to to protect ourselves in, in this particular kind of way? Yeah. <clears throat> um, one of my favorites, so I, I am a black power historian in my day job, and one of my favorite quotes I think that just encapsulates one of the ways we can think about black power. Um, it comes out of a um like uh, Black Panther um, saying, but is really taken up by so many different organizations mm-hmm. um, in this moment. It's it's like, you know, pending revolution, like we're catering to like Black folks, mind, body, and soul. That's a paraphrasing of it. But it's like mind, body, and soul is always together. Yeah. Right? That like in order to protect one, in order to protect your neck, you got to protect <laughs> your heart. You got to protect yep. your mind. And... I think for me, as a martial artist, it, it actually does all of it, mm. right? Like, the martial arts is, is not, I mean, A, let's be very clear, like, Black practices of both armed and unarmed self-defense have been really important to resistance. Yeah, <laughs> crucial. Right? Like, crucial, central, mm-hmm. period. Like, there's, I was like, there's no reason to be shamed or shy away from that. 
And I'm like, if we would talk about like, how do you like literally survive pending revolution? How do you survive pending the worlds after, right? Like when we get to a certain part in Butler's like thinking and books, how do we get yeah. there? Like you have to be able to save your spirit. And that, I mean, that, you know, comes out of Islam as well, but you know, martial arts again is this physical embodied thing, like as a place where you can breathe, as a place where you can like actually like shed off <laughs> and like push away and like punch or kick mm. away some of the like racial and genderized microaggressions. Mm. Like that is a form of protection. Like in the same way, I was making this joke to a friend the other day. I was like, my vision of like black feminist retreats in the next 10 years is I want I want all the black queer feminists to be like, you know, someone is going to teach the pole classes at night and then someone's going to do the Qigong Tai Chi classes. Yes. In the morning, right? <laughs> like actually you need like all of those forms of healing. And yeah, I think for me, it's just why I cling to it so much. It's just so instrumental. Like you can be by yourself. I mean, these are folks, I mean, Angela Davis, when she was incarcerated in the seventies is doing like martial arts, like in, um, you know, prison and Erica Huggins, you know, also part of the the Panther party was a yoga, yeah. right? It's a, yo- like it becomes a yogi. So, you know, those movement practices really come together in that way. And I think that protection has to be yep. holistic. Like it has to be physical, but it has to be non-physical mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think that uh, martial arts definitely embodies all of that. Um, I know when I was deep in my organizer bag and when I was going through the most, I started taking capoeira classes. I, I didn't even think about capoeira, hey. <laughs> but I did. And it was like some of the most healing movements I could have ever done. Like it got me, it physically got me mm. through a period in my life. So mm. shout out to the the cop. I ain't did it then since then, but <laughs> I was at them classes every Wednesday, <laughs> you know, at 6 p.m. in Chicago. So yeah, thank you for, for naming that. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your insights and your wisdom. So, so good and, and, and leaving us with so many resources. Please tell us how we can connect with you, find you, support you. Um, when a book coming out, just give us the rundown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me on um, Twitter at Black Belt PhD. Um, and you can find me on, uh, IG, uh, right now the handles, the dapper hijabi, um, it might change. So don't worry if you don't find it. Um, and yeah, the book is probably be out. Look, check for it another, like three or four years, you know, give me a little bit and then you can look for it. Hopefully, um, inshallah, as we say, you know, if God wills, you know, in that time frame. but yeah, I mean, reach out. I love, you know, if folks need help with like, connections around like I do a lot of like virtual Mm self-defense stuff but also like put folks in contact with that type of community so um feel free to reach out yes we need that can you repeat your twitter again I miss it was black something phd yeah it's black black bell phd period yeah I'm a nerd I'm a nerd period thank you so much dr mar for being on the show today um we appreciate you here and thank you for all that you have given us. We're going to look for three or four years. I'm going to check in <laughs> about this, the text. Sounds great. <laughs> and just thank you so Sounds much. We good. appreciate you. No, thank you so much for having me. It was great to wrap yes, with you again. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need.
you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A little juju is produced by Domino Sound. Drop, drop.